0: I think inspired leadership means to me is leaders leading by example, breathing in the best that their organization can be based on the best that they are as an individual.
1: Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. <laughs> Greetings and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. It's great to have you here with us today. I'm your host and executive coach, Harry Lepofsky, and I can't wait to jump straight into our topic. Well, as you know, we bring you insights and perspectives from great leaders all around the globe to help you become an even more inspiring leader. And today we're going to take a closer look at crisis leadership. And joining us here on the show today, we have a global expert on this topic. Bill Colletti, welcome to the show. Terry,
0: it is my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much and thank you for what you do and sharing all the great ideas. I look forward to a great conversation.
1: Well, I'm just glad that we've got somebody in the Austin, Texas area that's been listening in on these shows, so thank you for that. Yeah, it's all good stuff. You continue to pump out something really smart. Folks, let me fill you in here. Bill Colletti has focused his entire career on reputation management and crisis communication. He's a keynote speaker, a risk and compliance panelist with the Wall Street Journal, and the author of a best-selling book, Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. Bill's got over 25 years of global experience managing high-stakes crises, issue management, and media relations for Fortune 500 companies and global political campaigns. He's led global risk management and crisis management communication for hill Knowlton Strategies and served as a senior counsel on these topics to clients like AT&T, Target, American Airlines, Home Depot, Xerox, and even the Prime Minister of Bulgaria. Is that right, Bill? Absolutely. Early, early days of their entry
0: into the Atlantic, both NATO and the European Union. So yes got to work with the prime minister.
1: That is so cool. With credentials like this, I'm quite positive that we can all gain some great perspectives from you. First, I'm curious to find out where you draw your inspiration. What or who inspires you, Bill?
0: Well, my fiance really inspires me. And I think we'll talk about this concept of grace in crisis. She is an amazing inspiration to me, the way she handles situations. So it inspires me to be able to help people when they're going through some of their worst days is to give them perspective to help them kind of get out of that so the inspiration for me is Debbie, but it's also in the inspiration of helping based on the unique skill sets that I've been able to create over my career.
1: You're like a fireman. you sort of run into crises when they're happening like a fireman runs into a burning building while everybody else is running out. The perfect analogy and one of the keynotes that I do it's one of my best laugh lines is where I've got a superimposed
0: very buff, good looking body with my head put on top of it as a firefighter. So, yes,
1: absolutely. I love it. Now, let's get into this topic of crisis leadership. In my experience, this is a crucial element that I think we all need to be better prepared for, no matter what industry we're in, what organization we serve, or whatever job we've got. At some point, we're all going to go through a crisis of some sort. What seems to be one of those important but not urgent things. In other words, because we don't know when a crisis will hit, I think a lot of people tend to put this off. They're not planning for it or even anticipating what could go wrong. There's a lot of procrastination that's going on in this type of a topic, and yet we can all learn to be better prepared. If you don't mind, help us out. What mindset and behavior separate leaders that perform best during a crisis from those who are not so well prepared?
0: It's a terrific question and something that I observe as I've been in and out of different companies and different individuals that find themselves in the worst day of their career or the worst month of their career. And the phrase that I like is, the crucible of crisis doesn't develop your leadership, it reveals it. In that moment, we see very, very clearly those that are prepared and those that have the mindset and the behaviors in order to respond in a crisis, because it's very, very rare. That you have a leader that gets on the job training. And so, if we look at BP, a global story is that they had the Deepwater Horizon rig that blew up in the Gulf of Mexico, pumping yeah. out hundreds of thousands of gallons of oil. The CEO there is Tony Hayward of BP. His leadership was revealed when he said, I'd much rather be sailing on the Thames River than dealing with all of this. That is a revelation of who he is. The thing that separates leaders is that they've either got it or they don't have it. Very few grow into it. The mindset, as you point out, is an awareness that this could happen. We can't just put our head in the sand. Can't think, well, my organization is too small. You can't think that, well, we fly under the radar. So mindset number one is an awareness and a consciousness that this could happen. Behavior is two-part, acting on that mindset acting on that awareness and doing some training and doing some planning and doing some preparation. Both big enterprise and small enterprise can do it. But the other behavior is just a general calmness. There is a critical component to crisis response, which is being on your toes, but being very calm in these situations, because that's when you hear feedback best, and that's when you deliver instructions more clearly. The mindset is being aware that it could happen. The behavior is do something about that awareness and then
1: remain calm through the situations. That's great. So awareness, being prepared or doing something, and then keeping your cool when something's hitting the fan.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's <laughs> a great movie, Terry, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. Free, new movie that's out called Free Solo. It's about the guy that's climbed El Capitan in Yosemite in California without yeah. ropes. It's on Netflix and National Geographic. And I'm taken with it, his calmness through these incredibly risky, scary environments where he's got no rope and no net. His mindset is one of, I'm aware of these risks. I know what I'm doing. And his behavior is just sort of a Zen-like calmness in the face of that risk. Now, I don't want to equate self-inflicted mountain climb with some of these crises, but it is really valuable that We can put ourselves into a state of readiness, even when it's dealing with food recall of ground beef. You can have the same sort of mindset and
1: behavior. As a climber, I took a lot of interest in that. Alex Honnold was the Mm. gentleman who went up uh, El Cap, and that's 3,300 feet straight up. And he's doing it without a rope. The risk's very, very high. Something should go wrong or unplanned. There's going to be some devastation there. I think that's where the parallel really comes in. Is you're running an organization or a division or a team, suddenly something goes horribly wrong. The stakes are really high. The devastation could be quite high. I really like your three points about awareness, being prepared and doing something, and then calmness. Very good. You mentioned large organizations. I think, in my experience at least, a lot of large organizations really take this seriously. And I think it's because they do see the risk is much higher for them. There's more to lose, let's put it that way. But what can our inspiring leaders community learn from the way that large companies manage and lead through crises?
0: The bulk of our work is with enterprise-level corporations. We do a lot of work with mid-cap companies as well. As I've worked with entrepreneurs and startups in particular, is it's very simple just to play a what-if game you're reading the Wall Street Journal, you're reading your your daily news feed, and you see a company that you benchmark or a company that you keep an eye on, doesn't need to be as fancy as a benchmark, is just ask yourself, well, what if? If that had happened to me, how would we respond to that? Gather a leadership team, and if that could be your one other business partner or just you and a coach or whatever, but gather your team and say, if this had happened to us, exactly this newspaper article. On Friday afternoon, what would we do? How would we respond? That's training. Training doesn't have to be formal and fancy and expensive, but simply asking yourself realistic what-if scenarios. And I think every great leader, regardless of where they are, should have a reflective time of their day where they can sort of ask themselves what if. Enterprise clients are kind of financially incentivized to do this because of the insurance structures and risk structures that they already have in place. where there are big departments at banks and other places, other financial institutions, just to look at risk. We sometimes think entrepreneurs and startups forget about it. But if you just ask yourself, what if that had happened to me, how would we respond?
1: It's a great, great learning. And the answer could be, I have no idea. And that's okay. So this is a good way for preparing. And you mentioned this thing about them protecting their reputation. I think that this is really an interesting concept because reputation to me seems to be one of those soft assets, yet it's so important. How can companies manage soft assets like their reputation?
0: Yeah. So I had just finished a crisis engagement with a client and it was about a 10-day challenge and we were on the 10th day. The CEO and I were sitting together in New York debriefing over what had happened. He said two really relevant things. One was, well, let's not ever do that again. That was a horrible experience. We got through it. But the other one was he asked me to unpack this concept of reputation management, about building a reservoir of goodwill and creating the benefit of the doubt when something bad would happen. And so that inspired me to go on a journey and write the book that I wrote called Critical Moments, The New Mindset of Reputation Management. And I articulated a framework about that, the four A's, in order to do just that, in order to manage reputation, either pre-crisis or post-crisis, I think there is a model for P's of marketing, an old concept from the 1960s of price, product, place, promotion, created the four A's, because that's what that CEO kept saying. He says, oh, you mean like the four P's? Right. And I said, no, 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 this is something different. That's the model I created. So I think it is manageable with an organizational structure, with both financial and intellectual resources as well as some self-awareness, it is possible to manage a reputation and not simply write a big check to your philanthropic organization that you favor. It's, It's much more than that. And yet, and it can be managed.
1: I'm going to leave the investigation of the four A's up to people's curiosity because I want them to pick up your book. I think there's a great deal of value there. And I really want people to go and take a look for this book and make sure that they know what the topic is. Critical Moments: The New Mindset of Reputation Management. It's already a bestseller, folks. Really, this is one of those things as we've mentioned before, you can't just procrastinate on this. This is something that I hope everybody who's listening will take it seriously. Book a little bit of time, do some brainstorming, start thinking about what potentially could go wrong. What horror stories have you read in the paper, seen on the news? Think about that in terms of your own business. And make sure that you pick up this book and read about those forays now I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit Bill I was dying to ask you this are there any horror stories that you can share with us change the names to protect the innocent any organizations or clients that just went through the ringer on any of this stuff
0: yeah I mean there's a number of them I try to be really cautious in talking about clients one example that there was a coal mine in West Virginia and tragically, tragically, 29 people died in an underground mine disaster. And the CEO was difficult to work with, to say the least. And his posture was that it wasn't their actions. It was the actions of the government and the regulatory structures relative to ventilation is what really caused this problem. He very much had this mentality of wild, wild west. Let's sort of shoot them up on our way out of town and not accepting any responsibility for it. And it just became a farcical that we really were limited on anything to do. And so I got fired in that engagement because we kept on suggesting different ways to approach it that were not quite so aggressive and combative that he was suggesting. And then four months later, I got hired back by the board of directors to do his exit from the company. And so it's there's this no good deed goes unpunished, and so we knew what the right thing was to do in this situation. The CEO didn't want to do it and wouldn't do it, and it came back to catch him in that situation. So there are lots and lots of examples of his leadership style and the way he led this company that caused significant damage. It also taught me a great deal. But as I reflect on it, kind of as an insider, it's it was clearly a tragedy. In fact, these men died tragically. is horrific. The thing for me is that their legacy could have been managed in a better, more positive way, and it was unfortunate. We have deal with Me Too movement, um, both dealing with the accused, the accusers, and the companies that are kind of caught in the middle that are there. That's really sort of been an emerging issue. And then this notion of data breach. I mean, data breach is
1: inevitable, and oh, we deal yeah. with
0: a lot of companies that are dealing with data breach. A pipe bomb in Long Island, New York. The ranges between big and small and everything in between.
1: Just goes to show you, when you're going to do your brainstorming, you've got to be pretty thorough. You really have to think about things backwards, forwards, and inside out. My mind goes back many years back, 1982. The Johnson & Johnson had the Tylenol scare. Mm-hmm. It was a famous case that comes up often in discussions where in the Chicago area, it was found out that a lot of the Tylenol extra strength bottles had been contaminated with cyanide. The Johnson & Johnson executive all got together and there was a lot of arguing in the boardroom about what do we do, what do we do. This is really a devastating thing for the company. And there was a great deal of uncertainty of which way to go until one of the executives pulled open their credo statement and read the first line where it said, our first priority lies with our patients, doctors, doctors and people who use our product. And with that, they knew exactly what they needed to do. And that was to pull 31 million bottles of Tylenol off of the shelves and do a complete product recall, the first major product recall in American history for retail. And that, I believe, was in your book too, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. We talk about that credo, and then the context that we talk about it has been,
0: based on my experiences, that key differentiator between companies that succeed and companies that fail is speed. How fast do they fill the vacuum of information in the marketplace? And the way you get to speed is an equation. So what speed equals, speed equals the sum of your mission and values plus chain of command. That equals speed. The example you just highlighted there with Johnson & Johnson is they had crystal clarity about what their North Star was, first line of their credo, That was their mission and values. And then they also married that up with the ability to execute because they knew the CEO was involved, the head of operations was involved, is that they had a crisp, crisp chain of command. And that then let them be fast. Now you referenced some years later as a hallmark of crisis success. Didn't have social media at the time. So the world was a little bit different. We might handle things a little bit different today. And the reason why they were successful was exactly what you pointed out is that they had a North Star and they weren't making up as they went along. They started at the beginning.
1: This is amazing perspective. And I think there's so much that all of us can learn from you. That's why I really encourage everybody to take a look out there for the book and make sure that they've got it on their shelf. Make sure that it's read first before it goes on the shelf. But wonderful perspective, Bill. And I think that this is very valuable. Listen, if you don't mind, let me ask you this. What advice can you offer leaders out there today in the workforce or even in political arenas.
0: For me, at this point, where I am in my career and where we're going is that it's certainly prepare and plan. Do those what-if exercises that we talk about, regardless if you're a big company, a small company. That's sort of table stakes, is best advice that I can give. I think the other advice, and in an age of Trump here in the United States, we are losing it, I'm fearful, but it's this notion of having grace. And with grace, there's a great new book called Grace, A Leader's Guide to the Better Us by John Baldoni. And Baldoni is just a great, great thinker on leadership and management. But what he talks about is that inadvertently is a really great crisis response. It's one of generosity, respect, and action is what he talks about in the book. And that if a company finds itself in a crisis situation, particularly something of their own doing, something that that simply shouldn't have happened, Have generosity with information, have respect for the listener that they're misunderstanding what's going on and fix it. And that's the action. And so I think that we need more grace in our business culture today. But I also think that we can learn a lot. I don't believe that Baldoni intended this, but you can also apply that in a crisis context about that notion of generosity, respect, and action as a means to bring about meaningful change. And so plan and prepare, do what ifs, read a book called Grace and bring more grace into your crisis response.
1: Oh, I have so much respect for everything you just said. Bravo. What a great answer to that. But I have one more question for you. Sure. (laughs) I ask this to everybody who comes on the show, Bill. So here we go. I know you've helped me and everybody else on here, but I want to find out from you, what does inspired leadership mean to Bill Colletti?
0: I love this question, and in listening to your podcast, I have heard you ask that, and there have been some fabulous, fabulous answers. So for me, I went back to what does inspired mean? What is the word inspired? And I went back to kind of the Latin, and the the original Latin is inspirare, and it's to breathe into, it's to blow into, is what it means. Is this notion of breathing grace, or breathing panic, or breathing Unpreparedness, whatever it is that you're breathing, you breathe it in both positively and negatively. And so I think that's what inspired leadership is. You breathe in what is the best that it can be. And if you're not prepared, you got to try to fake it for as long as you can. So for me, what I think inspired leadership means is that the leader has to breathe in a culture, an ethos, and a clarity and a calmness in order to bring about the best in a situation. I think inspired leadership means to me is leaders leading by example, breathing in the best that their organization can be based on the best that they are as an
1: individual. Awareness, preparation, and calmness. Absolutely brilliant, Bill. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to be with us here today. I know that you've helped me and I know you've helped everybody who's listening, all those people in our community, with your insights and your expertise. So thank you sincerely. Well, Carrie, thank you for what you do. I know this is an important part of your journey
0: is to share these great ideas. So thank you for what you do. It's very, very valuable. And I don't know if you hear that often enough, but thank you for what you do.
1: You know what? I hear it enough that I actually believe that what we've got (laughs) going here is a PhD in leadership for a lot of people (laughs) because they get so many great lessons from people who are right in the middle of the ring. Man, I've got a lot of respect for that. There we have it, folks, another invaluable interview with another leader worth following. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Just for you, our valued audience, I'll provide links to Bill's LinkedIn and Twitter accounts, his website, and of course to his book, so you can order that off Amazon or wherever you want to order it from. So feel free to reach out to Bill with any questions about crisis leadership and all that goes along with it. So that's it for this episode. This has been great, and I don't want anyone to miss another worthwhile interview. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or wherever you listen, and hit that big old subscribe button. Don't be shy, and don't miss another episode. Thanks again, everyone. Take care, and bye for now.